the people that we we're starting to sign at that time, like Barely Alive, they either lived in America or their audience was in America. So for us, it was um, it was a bit of a leap of faith because we went out there with very little in the way of money and we were like living in like a spare bedroom in like this kind of pretty sketchy area in someone's house. What's up, Don Nation? My name's Wyatt Troy. I make music as Come Nightfall and I want to welcome you to episode 52 of Behind the Daw, where we interview music producers, artists, music industry experts, singers, songwriters, and sound designers, and everyone else in between on an emotional, philosophical, artistic, branding, marketing, and overall music business basis. This is a companion podcast to our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite music producers to come and dissect their songs in real time. We've recently had people like Delta Heavy, Kashmir, AU5, Kiro, Tynan, Culprit, Set the Sky, Quicks, I mean, a whole bunch of other people. So make sure to go check that out. For the next little while, you can find In the Daw on Multiplier's YouTube channel. But after June 26, 2019, we are making the official move over to the Daw Nation YouTube channel. So head on over to there and subscribe and hit the little notification bell so that you can get a little bing whenever we put out a new episode. But if you'd much rather listen to the In the Daw episodes, I have an option for you. That is the point five episodes in this podcast. So for example, the last episode was episode 51.5, where we invited Biometrics to come and dissect his song, No One. So if you'd much rather listen to it than watch it, dude, you're in the right freaking place. But again, if you want to watch it, head over to the Daw Nation YouTube channel. So Daw Nation, who are we interviewing today? Today we are interviewing Dodge and Fusky. And if you don't know who they are, shame on you. They're freaking hilarious. But just because someone is hilarious doesn't mean that they're worth listening to. So why are Dodge and Fusky worth listening to? So first off, Rob, who is Dodge, is the co-founder of the legendary bass label Disciple. So he has all kinds of tidbits and information and knowledge that he's going to be dropping throughout this episode. And also another reason to listen to them is that they have insane credentials. All right, Dodge and Fusky have had collaborations with people like Virtual Riot, 12th Planet, Barely Alive, Phase One, Dubloads, Proto Hype, and a bunch of other people inside of the bass scene. These guys have the credentials, like literally the credentials credentials to prove to people that they are worth listening to, all right? So with that being said, what are you going to learn in this episode? That's a fantastic question, Daw Nation. So Dodge and Fusky are going to talk about the greatest risks that they took in their career and how it turned out to be an absolutely beautiful experience. This was mentioned in the beginning of the episode, how music production schools, you know, the kinds that cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to go to, are a complete waste of time. And just to know, and we talk about this in the episode, that they are not referring to, like, the course that we put out. Actually, the course that we put out is actually good thing we talk about it but no we're talking about you spending like five figures to go to a music production course they think it's an absolute waste of time so we're going to get into talking about that and what they think that you should do instead of that we're also going to talk about why disciple is easily one of the most well-known and highly sought after bass labels in the entire world and we're going to talk about what they consider is the number one mistake that they see new producers making This is a lot of content. There's a lot of beautiful nuggets of glory in this episode. And I'm so stoked to bring it to you, Daw Nation. But of course, before we get into it, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Daw Nation, we are so close to releasing our updated version of the AU5 Ableton Sound Design course. The original course had over five hours of content, but this updated version, it has over 20 hours of content. This course not only teaches you how to do absolutely insane sound design using basic tools, but we are also including all the effects racks, instrument racks, project files, and you also get access to an unbelievable amount of bonus material. In fact, some of the bonus material includes a mini AU5 course where 
where he shows you how he created specific sounds in some of his most famous songs. You also get access to a Max for Live course where I show you some of the craziest sound design Max for Live devices. We also have a third-party plugin course where AU5 and I show our favorite third-party sound design plugins and how to use them. There is also a Whip Masterclass where AU5 sits down and creates an entire song beginning to end from scratch. And finally, there is an AU5 walkthrough course where he walks through three previously released tracks, one unreleased track, one track from his new LP, and two tracks from his newest EP, Energize. The original price of the course before all the updates was $147. So we've been playing around with the idea of a subscription model. You can have access to everything for only $47 a month. You can cancel anytime. There's no long-term commitments so that you can keep the course as long as you need. But when you're done, you're done. That's it. So Don Nation, again, at this point, we are just playing around with the idea of the subscription model. But if you are interested, please let us know down in the comments, wherever you are. So Don Nation, keep your eyes peeled for the update of the AU5 Ableton Sound Design course. But until then, let's get into this week's interview. I want to welcome everyone to this week of Behind the Dial. We have Dodge and Fusky. How are you guys doing today? I'm good. Thank you very much. Good. You're not going to get a more enthusiastic response than that. We're British. Sorry, mate. That's as much enthusiasm as I can handle right now. So this is great, man. You know, if we were to look at the totality of your guys' career, what has been the greatest risk that you felt like you have taken to progress your career? I mean, I upsticked and moved to America, kind of, I guess, like a real lull point of our career when there weren't many gigs, like with no real kind of knowing of what was going to happen. So for me, that would probably be me, my thing. I guess Chris will have his own answer. Probably trying to like start a family mid-career was probably like a pretty risky choice. And trusting Dodge. <laughs> and he and trusting Dodge. That's probably quite a risky move as well. Do you feel like starting a family has aided your career? Absolutely, yeah. Tell me more, why so? All the cliches that go along with starting a family, like for some people, I just think it really like grounds them a lot and sort of change. It takes the focus away from the individual and like you have to become like well, you don't have to, but I think it's a good idea to become quite selfless as a parent. And like, I think the skills that you learn through doing that are very useful in dealing with other people and like approaching a career with like a level head. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I yeah. think that's that definitely like made a big difference for me. Like, I was able to sort of reapproach the way I do work and stuff like that with a, more of a sort of focus and yeah, level headedness. I guess. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm, I'm a parent as well. I have a family wife. We've been married for four years. Have two kids. So, I, I completely understand what you're saying i want to i want to come back to this concept here in a second but i wanted to focus on what you were saying rob about you moving to america so why do you feel like moving to america was such a beautiful thing for your career is there just more musical opportunities where you moved to or what, what do you think perhaps not the words i would use but it was an absolute no-brainer really for what we had to do the earlier days of the dubstep kind of movement were very european like kind of northwest european focused that was that was where a lot of it was in you know obviously pioneered in the uk um it changed very very quickly around sort of like the early 2010s and kind of i guess changed really beyond kind of recognition with it within a few years um which is where the american kind of influence and explosion of kind of audience came from in the u.s uh, with the changing sound and also i guess with the much higher fees in america because of various reasons 
like, you know, cultural norms, for example, you know, coming from a, a background of, you know, rock music and hip hop concerts compared to coming from a background of raves and free parties where people are willing to pay a lot less for tickets. Um, all of these kind of things combined into a big melting pot. The gigs in Europe, a lot of people started losing money. A lot of people stopped going to things. They didn't like the music. So it changed so much, all this kind of stuff. And a lot of stuff added together, added up, which I won't go on for hours about explaining, but a lot of stuff added together that, that, that basically the scene as it was kind of collapsed within a year mostly it still exists it does exist like you know there's still gigs in uh, france is still is still you know there's gigs out there there's and for the older kind of like original dubstep sound there is still an underground scene for it but in terms of the movement that we were wrapped up in it hugely became a North American focus. Now, obviously, there's other countries outside of, you know, the US and Canada that it's, it, it's still been a scene going, like in, you know, Australia, New Zealand, um, you know, Asia is quite a big thing at the moment. And Europe, you know, is still going, but just not in quite focus point that it used to be. It used to be that, you know, all the guys that we were friends with, basically anyone who was basically having any of their releases uploaded to UKF, we were all kind of on this circuit where everyone was probably doing 10, 15 shows a month in Europe, you know, and, and that really changed very quickly. Um, to the point where most of the guys were that I knew, everyone was kind of flying out to and from America all the time. Now, obviously, if you don't live in America, flying out for one gig isn't really necessarily going to make sense, time and financially. Um, so people tended to do tours. So you come back and you basically just don't have anything to do. And then obviously, Disciple, um, me and Russ, my business partner, had the label. And all the people that we were starting to sign at that time, like Barely Alive, they either lived in America or their audience was in America. So for us, it was um, it was a bit of a leap of faith because we went out there with very little in the way of money. And we were like living in like a spare bedroom in like this kind of pretty sketchy area in someone's house. And Ross, I mean, Ross, my business partner, went out there with about £250, which is like $400 to his name. So he went out there with like literally almost nothing, no gigs, really. So it was a, it was a real big gamble i say gamble uh, gamble as in there was no guarantee it would work off obviously if it didn't work out we could always come back but it was kind of like if this doesn't work i don't know what, i don't know what we're going to do so that was a really long answer but i don't think i could have answered it much shorter than that without kind of actually giving a decent explanation for why we moved to america or I why i moved to america just so you guys know i'm going to kind of go back and forth between you two you know just so like i don't feel like i'm just focusing on one person or another so chris you know on the concept of you being a parent you know has there been and i ask this because i i'm almost certain that i know the answer but has there been things with you being a parent that is that has led you to not being able to take certain opportunities that you wish you could have taken being in the music industry yes and no i mean i would not particularly just because the, the very nature of the work that we do and ha it having been the only work i've really known it always had time the reason i figured that having children would work is because as you're self-employed in the business we're in, or at least I am, and just as like a producer and a DJ, you know, there is a level of flexibility within that. I don't, I wouldn't say there's been anything, let's put it this way, I don't think there's anything I've regretted turning down because I could, hadn't had the time or whatever, you know, like I, that, I've always been able to make it work and I'm, I'm lucky in that, I, you know, my, my, partner who I've had the children with like she's very understanding and like uh we we've always been good at compromise so I think there's always been a level of like being able to just make stuff work so not I haven't actually really found that I've ever had to turn stuff down or whatever if that's what you're getting at like I, it's not really been a problem honestly I'm really glad to hear that and that is the answer that I usually usually get from from people who are doing great things in the industry when they have kids. I remember when I was, you know, just barely starting out, I had the chance to go meet Seven Lions, but I had to turn it down because not very many people 
know this part of the story. They just know that I turned it down. The reason I turned it down is because my son was being born. I was like, you know, like in that case, like, do you, do you regret not meeting? I'm like, no, dude, I'd much rather meet my son than seven lions. I totally get what you're saying. And I'm really glad you have that attitude because there are some people I've talked to that are bitter about it. And that's so unfortunate. That is completely unfortunate. Two beautiful things. Like I, you know, I got the sort of the, the dream job I always wanted since as early as I realized that was a thing. And I've also got a nice, happy family. So I'm, I genuinely, it's cheesy as well. Like I genuinely feel blessed to have the sort of be in the place I'm at with it all, you know? Oh, that's fantastic, man. So Rob, back over to you. Concerning, you know, like everything that you and, and Rossi have been doing with with Disciple. Like, it's freaking amazing. You guys are killing it. Almost every single person that I teach private lessons to, one of their dreams is to be on Disciple, especially with all the tutorials that you're doing on your guys' channel. I think that is fantastic. Let's talk about Disciple. I mean, like, why do you think you guys have been having so much success? I mean, why why are you guys rising above everyone else, so to say? Well, I, I think it mostly comes down to the acts that we signed, really. I mean, a label is only the acts that you have on it. I mean, obviously, it's what you do with it as well. Like, the staff that we have are all great, you know, in terms terms of just really being on the ball done properly you know it's, it's it's amazing i mean i've signed to various labels over the years with different acts different projects and there's, there's there's a huge range of really how good a job people do with covering the covering the basics so i think you know from like, there's obviously two sides to it. so on the artist side you know we have incredible acts like you know ross has a great ear for early hearing talent early on as well you know like barely alive i think they had like 50 soundcloud followers uh when we when ross took them on for management then obviously we've got people like virtual Ryan who is, you know, indisputably now probably the biggest rising rising to the top act at the moment, I guess, really, you know, the person who has the most trajectory out of pretty much anybody in dubstep. I'm too many to name. Like, you know, if I start naming people, I'm going to end up leaving people out. So it's just better just to say everybody because it really is an amazing roster. But then on, on the team side as well, you know, everybody's just so on the ball, making sure that, like, the ball's never dropped. And then, like, all this stuff that we're doing as well with, with the video content is something that I'm really proud of because that's what I spend a lot of my time doing is me and our director of photography, a guy called Dear, and some interns that we're taking on at the moment and what we do is we really just like I mean we like it's not really about making extra money or in or revenue and if anything it's actually the opposite of that it's just adding value to the brand for the, for the better betterment of the long term of, of, of the label so like you say things like the tutorials um, you know things like I don't know if you saw the Lamborghini video where that's we sampled so Lamborghini and to dubstep that's kind of like well I've got about 15 other ideas written down that are like that and we're just trying to actually make those side of the stuff more and more approachable to people that might not even be dubstep fans without alienating dubstep fans at the same time so i think the idea is to find a happy medium where it's a little bit like i mean uh, there's too many saying but you know a lot of youtube channels will be like the focus is on entertainment but they're still educational at the same time but they might not be educational in the same way a tutorial is educational because the problem with the tutorial is there's it's very much focused 100 percent on education it's not really intended as any kind of entertainment which is fine you know like a lot of people really love that stuff but there's lots and lots of other people out there who would benefit from the entertainment value of stuff that like you maybe learn a few things from get some ideas from but ultimately the main focus is on being fun yeah. and that was the Lambo video was the first one but but uh, one of the bits of feedback we had on that is that the tutorial part was still you know the beginning was the fun bit and then it still became very very much a tutorial so we're trying to work out ways where we can still make these videos educational but make them much more feel a lot more like you know I mean the obvious comparison is top gear I mean that's obviously where we've got a lot of the stylistic yep. cues from um but yeah you'll be seeing a lot more of that stuff this year we're, we're filming um we're filming like kind of a few kind of like challenge can you do this can you do that type video 
videos and trying to keep them as broad as possible and interesting for people that might not necessarily be like disciple fans or even know who we are but still be interesting to people who are at the same time i mean there's so, there's so many avenues to you know to, to talk about like you know like like i say russ my business partner's kind of foresight in in an a and r skills are huge you know he manages a lot of the, the acts on the label as well and then i guess the other thing as well would be the clothing another thing that you know i think is a really big part of disciple is how we haven't really taken a merch approach to our clothing it's much more clothing label approach to the clothing in the long run could end up being that that ends up defining us even more than the label i don't know that's one of the things that we're hoping for at the moment is to grow the clothing label beyond being just a label not just being merch for disciple fans chris you're in the uk right now rob you're in la do you guys kind of feel like that you kind of got an advantage that way because you got one of you on on one side of the world doing stuff there and another on the other side of the world i mean do you guys do you guys kind of leverage that in a way not really to be honest it's just it's just as it is it's it's, but it's not really a disadvantage either particularly for the way that we work no really basically like the only advantage is that if if and when i do have a a gig in the eu i can just take it you know but um as rob's already mentioned basically the entire scene moved to north america anyway so the vast majority of of, of dj work at least comes from that so yeah in in terms of leveraging that separation that is that's the only stuff that comes out of it really is um is that if there is gigs that come in in the eu i can i can just take them as a no-brainer um yeah it's it's more it's more a situational thing yeah than a a, a deliberate strategy everything's really just sort of goes over the internet anyway now so the location is somewhat irrelevant really for like in terms of at the very least music production you know so rob you got a lot of stuff going on with disciple chris you obviously got a lot of stuff going on with your family do you have any other things that you got going on chris or is it is basically dodger fusky your main career focus yeah pretty much i mean i've i've got a couple of other things in the works um which aren't really a place to be talking about right now but um one of the main things that i can talk about that's in the works is that there's another kid coming on uh, oh yeah in about in about like five weeks or something oh, so we're my just gosh. getting yeah just getting getting ready for another another baby fusky dude that's amazing so like is that kid number eight or like where are you at yeah that's like yeah <laughs> kid 15 <laughs> really like what what number of kid is it though it will be our third dude, so we've got amazing. i've got a um we've got a a little boy six-year-old boy my daughter who's three lv and then yeah, one more will be zero quite soon. Oh man, that's amazing! So is is this one going to be named Rob, or is that is that name out of the picture? <laughs> Next yeah, question. Rob, Rob or, or Robert? Both of you. You know, both of you. I know. I know, Rob. You know, with you doing Disciple, you're going to have more experience with this. But with both of you, what do you guys feel like? Let's start with Chris, and then we'll go to Rob. So, what do you guys feel like is the number one mistake that you guys see new producers making? I've got a really good answer to this, but I'll let Chris go first Perfect. if he, if you want. Are you suggested? I'll, I'll flip it on its head and say that I actually think these days um, you see a lot less mistakes because there's a lot more information available. Good so. Job compared to perhaps when we were starting out everyone was making mistakes and they were all really like dumb mistakes whereas I think actually the baseline standard for a lot of newcomers is, is just been elevated through well various things obviously something like taking Spice as an example just the availability of information knowledge uh, tutorials good quality samples like all the things that actually when you're first starting out maybe even not even five years ago was like a lot harder to get right is now there's just a higher bar of the baseline entry level quality I think that doesn't mean there's still not like a lot of mistakes to be made but I do think it's a lot 
easy to make less mistakes. It's easier to make less mistakes these days. Okay, so first of all, on when, when, if, if, if the question means in terms of technical mistakes, I completely agree with Chris. Uh, I think on a broader answer, I think the biggest mistake people are making these days that's definitely becoming more and more prevalent is the reasons people want to do to do this. Um, I mean, we joke about it a lot in our videos and obviously play stupid versions of ourselves because it's just kind of a way of keeping things fun and entertaining. But on, a, but on you know, obviously that's inspired by a lot of things that I've seen in real life and particularly living out in LA. Like the amount of people are trying to run before they walk in a very literal sense and people just basically wanting to do it for the glory is 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 something I see a lot of. And, you know, I think I've, I noticed a lot of people getting frustrated because they're like, oh, I've been doing this for like, for like you know, a year and a half and I'm just not getting anywhere. It's like, mate, we we, 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 did, we didn't make a penny for the first, first seven years. I mean, I'm not, I'm not lamenting. I'm not like an old guy going, ah, in my day, because yeah, I understand it's quicker these days and that's not really the problem. I think the problem is, is people are just so fixated on the end result and are they going to do this? Are they going to, you know, like I, I hear people talking about, oh, what should I be looking for an agent? People talking about this stuff when they're like literally still in school and they've probably been learning Ableton, you know, some like teacher in a college or like 12 months. This is just definitely uh, something that I've really noticed because the thing that I always say to people is if you persevere and, you, and, you're, and you're smart, it's quite unlikely that you'll fail because, you know, if, if you're capable of what you do and you persevere, you know, and, you, and then the end result is good music, it, it is going to work for you. It's going to happen for you. It's just how it happens. As a label, we're always looking for good acts. We have the same, you know, the trouble we, ha we have is finding good acts, you know. So if you exist and you are a good act, you will do well. But the problem is, is people are so fixated on that that I, I think people get frustrated because they're not necessarily focused on enjoying the process. And for us in the early days, it was always fun. Like, I loved making music. Like in the early days, we never thought we were going to be successful. It wasn't for years that we started thinking it's why we're called dodge and fusky there's no brand concept behind it at all because we never expected it to work <laughs> we just needed it we just needed a name to release and like my childhood nickname was dodge and like chris came up with i won't give you the full story but there's not a very good reason behind why where fusky came from it's a pretty arbitrary reason just like dodges you know we were just sending it for the fun and it just kind of went somewhere and like i'm not saying that like that's necessarily a right or wrong way to do it but i definitely notice it with a lot of young people that people are just completely fixated check my sound clock at this get my demo it's like dude you're years away from being ready yet but people just always, they just want a result straight away they think they sign up and pay like twenty thousand dollars a year to go to some like production college and think they're going to come out being like the next afrojack and it's just it shouldn't be like that like skills come from practice um there's no like if any of you guys are listening by the way and you're thinking about doing like a course to learn music production do not waste your money you don't need it you just need youtube and a laptop and a lot of perseverance and when i say a lot of perseverance to put it in perspective i think me and chris it's nowhere near this anymore because we have a, th a lot of other things going on but i think when we were at the height of learning where we were getting, I reckon we were probably spending 50 plus hours a week making music, mm -hmm. maybe more. It, but it yeah, was, um, do not waste your money on music courses. It is a, I think these it people Rob's are just jump, jumping on the opportunity. Like Rob Spire was like, you, your sequencing needs to literally be burned on the back of your retinas. And I remember like, I mean, that was fairly late on in our career, but that is still rings true to this day. I think like it is 110% about the time and input when you're starting out. Like you just that yeah. you have to make it your everything. Absolutely. Totally. And especially people you know, given sorry. the sort of level of competition and the level of just like I said before, the baseline standard is just higher. So I think even more so than before. I want to comment on the course thing because we did just release a course, but that course is massively different than what you're saying. Like, I'm not, I'm not talking about about tutorials. What I'm talking about is people that spend like. Two, I'm not going to mention specific names because I don't want to be unkind to and or single anybody out because I, I think a lot of these colleges are quite frankly just taking advantage of people's vanity and people like dreams mm. and like dropping like twenty grand. Let's be fair, people who a lot of the time probably aren't even working in the industry in what you want to be doing to teach you how to make music, online tutorials, you know, resources. 
are probably going to be as good, if not better, a lot of the time than paying to go and, go and do a course. You know, qualifications don't mean anything in the music industry. No, like it's just about skills. And people talk about you need to spend ten thousand hours to become an expert or something. You know, that's that's what you got to do. Not go to college. You just need to spend hours. Because I I, I I know quite a few people out here who are frustrated. I see them. You know, they'll try and make some tunes for like you know maybe half an hour, then they'll get fed up and they'll go and do something else. And maybe they'll do that once, twice a week. And it's like that is not even five percent enough of the time that you need to be putting in. You need to be like six hours a day every day. This is something that I'm extremely passionate about, and I completely agree with everything that you're saying. For the listeners that are listening, I do just need to make one distinct kind of separation. So, like what uh, Rob here is talking about is is something I completely agree. Like for example, like the course that we just put out, the course is a hundred dollars. All right, that is massively different, and we give we provide like twenty hours of content. It's insane for the about from someone in the industry that is doing the thing. You know what I mean? That's that's just basically a glorified private lesson from someone you want to learn from. That and so like in that instance, I wholeheartedly agree with that. But what you know, like what Rob's saying, yes, going to a school, paying five figures, learning from people that necessarily aren't doing from things in in the industry. Yeah, in that case, I feel like that is a scam. Personally, Rob and I both went to the same music college. UK is is that part is free, but then after that, I actually chose to go to London and do a private college music production course. Whilst it wasn't terrible, it wasn't like. I mean, I perhaps learned a bit of Cubase or something. You know, I, I learned odds and sods there. But if I was being very objective about it, like it wasn't worth the asking price. And it certainly wasn't two years worth of like, at, like material. Like, I didn't get like two. If I'd spent those two years and that amount of money on my own with the resources available online these days, I think the outcome of those two years might have been quite different. But so there certainly are those types of college you can pay like high high entry fee college courses that promise a lot and actually massively yeah and that's definitely i mean had a a sort of experience like that so you know the thing to remember is who is teaching who is teaching who is the teacher what what have they done to be qualified to teach you how to do this see it time and time again man it's i wouldn't call it a scam these colleges but they're definitely very much taking advantage of people's hopes and dreams like uh, one of the things again i'm not mentioning singling (coughs) colleges out here but a common thing that i see is they'll boast about their alumni and I remember looking at this one college and they were like oh we had this act and this act and this act and they're all like successful acts and then I looked at roughly how many students they have in a course how many years they've been open and I worked out their success rate is about one percent yep <laughs> if they're basing it on the alumni that they're, that they're listing on the website I'm like yeah that is giving you a very distorted perception you know you know kind of it's definitely for sure manipulating people's hopes and dreams like when realistically like I think a combination perhaps of like one well-written complete beginners course online that maybe you pay for and then topping it up for or, you know, with like stuff like the tools we put out, you know, which like, none of our stuff is is really intended as like, here's how you use Ableton and here's how you open a file. Like we don't really bother catering to that kind of starter level. Our stuff is much more like, here's a specific thing. Here's an act telling you how they did something. It's meant to be 50% inspiration and 50% technical explanation. There's so many resources online. I'm pretty sure. Like I, I won't go into too much detail because I don't want to spoil the video we're putting out, but very soon we're, we're basically doing a video about building a, a production setup on a budget. Um, nice. And I, I firmly believe that for well under a thousand dollars you can build a, a completely capable production setup by all the sample packs or splice subscription that you need and buy some tutorials or a course online no problem i completely no agree. no no more need spent over a grand I, don't I go me wrong i've spent a lot more than that but you don't need to what do you where do you guys foresee the future of bass music going you with disciple you guys are kind of the face of it especially with the acts that you have I mean, where do you where do you feel like it's going i've got a good answer for this so this is kind of a typical question that like and no offense at all here but just 
just being totally honest that I kind of get really bored of hearing because I hear a lot of people asking it all the time and has been for years. But this, I can only relate this into things that have happened in Europe as a, as a, a comparison because obviously electronic music, I mean, was born in America. It was born in Chicago, really. You know, house music and people like Mar- Marshall Jefferson and stuff like this. But like in terms of its wide scale adoption, it was always a European thing, really, in terms of wide scale adoption. It was only really the bass music thing that has taken America by storm to the to the size that it has today. You know, these huge, like, you know, for example, Excision's festival, it's like gigantic and basically just bass music. It's unbelievable. It's like the size of Glastonbury in the UK, pretty much. But anyway, so what we see happening in, in Europe where it's a much more matured kind of widespread market, being careful with my words here, because I'm in no way trying to in- insinuate that this is a new thing to anyone, but like in terms of widespread adoption, you see genres like kind of house music, garage and drum and bass, which have been around for a long time. They've got their audience, they've got their fans. The whole thing's quite similar. People Like new kind of trends come and go, but in terms of like where is the scene going it's not really like that and in america i think it was you know the particularly people like skrillex who was hugely responsible for revolutionizing popularity of electronic music in america beyond just kind of you know vegas bottle service type scene this it was it was really it big like dubstep in as in the way that we most of us will think about it today uh, especially in american context is very much america's kind of take on dance music and then we had like trap come out of that which was very much you know electronic version of hip-hop that kind of you know, similar i remember listening to old tunes like you know southern hip-hop like 10 years ago that kind of sounded like trap but just with different sound design and that kind of came and went and what we've really been seeing is a more and more stability particularly in dubstep in america uh, consistency i think that what's next thing isn't really a relevant question i think i think america's dubstep has become america's drum and bass like what we're really seeing here is just a, a firming of an identity of a culture and a sound so i think this whole idea of what's going to be the next big thing isn't like we are you know i remember when bass house came along i'll cover bass house project as well and like like i really liked it because it reminded me of old garage and you know i've made some you know some tunes because it just kind of grabbed me but like it wasn't like that was like oh this is the next big thing everybody drop everything and make this you know it was just another thing that came along so i, th- I think in terms of like is everyone that's making dubstep now going to be making something else in five years time uh, i don't think so I, I think i think it's kind of here to stay at this point so that's my take i might be wrong that's just that's just that's just a fairly educated guess you know, I have to agree quite, yeah, I mean, from my perception of it is basically that is that got to a point now where exactly as Rob put it, it's sort of solidified itself and is sort of like, it's gone from being a blossoming, new, exciting thing into something that's familiar, but still has like um, progression and new ideas come out of it. And as Rob already said, like a lot like drum and bass has in, in the UK and in Europe as well, like it, it's not going anywhere. It's definitely not going anywhere, but like stuff still evolves within it and it like moves yeah. along and it, it influences come from subgenres and everything you know and some new like genius will come along and switch it up and do something crazy and new and then that'll get sucked into it all but uh, it kind of feels very steady at this point for sure and another thing as well is you have to remember that part of the reason that a lot of these new genres and sounds came along was an evolution of software so you know people like wavetable synthesis in particular and being able to make custom wavetables was a big driving factor of of, of kind of you know like all the growl sounds and everything for that we've got that now it's, it's not yeah. like there's an untapped potential to these synths yeah maybe someone will think of a way that of using it that hasn't been used yet but in like sound design in the context it's using bass music hasn't really radically changed in quite a while now 
Yeah, I think like technology is is the, that's it in a nutshell. Is that it will whenever the technology, technology always drive it will drive it will drive that that sort of reimagining and the refocus. And you know, I mean, massive is the obvious example to use. Like you say, web table synthesis and stuff. Like all these things come along, and you know, they will steadily evolve. I mean, really, if you look at it, if you look back at things like in the nineties, like so much of what you would call rave music then was basically like Roland and Cork like workstation synths with like people using presets from that so like really not a lot's changed in 20 years in terms of how people make music it's just the particular sounds and the way those sounds are created have changed a bit but like well there's, de- there's definitely a few ways that i would say it has changed i mean sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but like, you hit a really interesting point there yeah, carry on, man. Yeah. So obviously, like the examples you give of the old Roland stuff is a really good one because a lot of that was kind of abused in the way it was used. So like, you know, like the TR nine oh nine or TR eight oh eight, they were designed as a compliment drums for like, you know, like sync solo guitarists playing in, in a in a pub or something like that, you know, and it's meant to be like a backing rhythm. Mm-hmm. But then like you know, same with the three oh three, it was meant to be like a bass guitar accompaniment, and then just by cranking the resonance up, you get the acid sound, and it was never designed to do that. But that's by far the most iconic sound that came from from like, you know, like TV. 303 is like you know the kind of that old the prodigy type acid techno sound which is never was designed for but here's the interesting thing that i think is, is a really really good reason of why i think we're seeing slowdown now is ever since i remember you know being born and you know music technology evolving like ideas have always been ahead of the technology and it's only really been in the last sort of five or six years where now that the technology in terms of processing power is no longer a bottleneck like technology is still a bottleneck in terms of things like 3d rendering and like now we're getting into the era of real-time ray tracing and all this kind of stuff but in terms of software production my 2013 macbook pro will still not bottleneck unless i'm trying to like do a hand zimmer and load up 20 contacts playing string instruments you know for making like electronic music you were never going to hit uh, a bottleneck of computing power these days even with like a cheap 800 laptop it's going to be a surplus of power Although and i, I think would say that's that part of the reason it depends i'd say that's slightly subjective in the term in terms of you know it depends what you're looking for and what you're going for because you could imagine a, a, a theoretical VST synth that is purely like fractal-based or something. I'm totally making up, but there's potential for a new yeah. technology that doesn't exist yet, but is is yeah. because of lack of computing power. Like I think it's, I get what you're saying, but I, at the same time, I would say that never say never. Like there may very well be a technology that, like the audio equivalent of ray tracing, is the example you get. Like there might be something out there that we don't know about. But we don't. They're have true, but here's here's the way that I would think of it is like you have digital reverbs and then you have impulse response reverbs which are way way more accurate reverbs that use samples and room recordings to create reverbs rather than the digital algorithm but the question is will you even notice in a mix down so this is what I'm saying is yes I'm sure there's like ways of processing this but the question is are we going to get stuff that's audibly impossible at the moment and that's I don't know I, I can't answer that yeah I, mean, I think it's a question think look at things like deep learning and AI and stuff for that for the sort of sound design potential within those sorts of things yeah I suppose AI is an interesting one maybe there'll be kind of weird ai stuff i mean the the, the thing is at the moment is like within reason you can i mean not within reason the software but within reason um <laughs> definitely not within reason the software <laughs> within, within reason you could probably create most sounds now that you could really imagine whereas you know uh you know back in like the 50s you know when electronic music started in the context of being a you know well I mean, there was specific 50s maybe not a specific amount but you know but back then when we had like things like the advert electric guitars and you had the advert synthesizers and drum machines it was a very slow trickle of what sounds you 
you could make. Like, you could not make a growl base on 1950s equipment. Not really. Maybe if you were like, I don't know, maybe it's possible, but it's certainly not very practical. Well, I mean, if you look at something like that, I've never tried and I doubt I ever will, but like, it'd be interesting to see if you could take something like a DX7 and like FM a sort of slightly vocally, because yeah. the theory is FM synth, but obviously it's yeah. to do with that. No, DX7's I mean, a good example, yeah, but I mean, yeah. still, I'm talking about practical limitations and then like, you would have, on top of that, all the processing you'd have to do, you'd need to spend thousands. Nowadays, you just chuck a few plugins and you yeah. can just make virtual riot sounds, you know, like the limitations holding people back from making these sounds have gone. Yeah. So I think that's what I was getting at. Yeah, so no, I, that's, that. I think, I think that's what's slowing down that, evolution. My point really I, was that I totally agree with that, but I definitely think that you can never say never with these things. And just because it feels like no, we've I got agree with that. computing power and we kind of feel like you could make any sound, which it kind of feels like we are there. But, you know, in 10 years time, there might be something that we'll look back now and be like, we knew nothing kind of thing. So, True. I mean, all yeah. I would say is put it this way. I haven't heard a radically different kind of sound that I've never heard before in years. You know, there was a point where like the Skrillex growls came along and everyone was like, what is that? I've never heard anything like that obviously you know i think what would have been big things before that would have been you know i guess like all the kind of the phase mob welt noises even the yoi bass at the time was a new idea like there were new ideas all the time i haven't yeah. heard a new idea in sound designing i can't even remember the last time i heard a completely fresh idea people are getting better the mix downs are getting better but like it's not new it's just better yeah. so i would say that I maybe know. an element of that is probably the fact that the older you get the more you hear the more familiar things become and like perhaps there is an element of like it of just familiarity like we are here new sounds but like they're just more familiar because you're getting older and on top maybe. of that I don't know like I I do tend to agree with you. I'm just trying to think of maybe a counterpoint no I know you're, you're being devil's advocate I get that that's yeah. good that's, that's healthy part of any debate but yeah <laughs> anyway I think we've stayed on the subject a long time we should uh yeah I was just sitting back like truly enjoying this and like I was really stuck on that that reason pun that was nice that was <laughs> thanks <laughs> <laughs> guys this has been an absolute fantastic interview is there any final words that you want to say before you head out be cool don't be a I, I can't say it I can't say it because you're going to censor it <laughs> don't. it's my general life advice don't be nice well guys I really appreciate you coming on the show I had a fantastic time did you guys have a good time yeah it was great, great. thank you very much for having us hey Daw Nation hope you enjoyed episode 52 of Behind the Daw with Dodge and Fusky I know I did and if you did please go share it with someone do you have a producer friend go share it with them if you don't have producer friends freaking get them and then share this episode with them if you are interested in our Patreon so you can get exclusive perks pertaining to In the Daw and Behind the Daw there is a link down in the description. You can also go to patreon.com slash in the D-A-W-W-W. We also offer private lessons. You can access those by going to in the da.net and we would love to hear who you want to bring on the show. There is a link down in the description for suggestions of artists to come on the show. One more time, I would encourage you to like, comment, subscribe, repost, and follow. And I'm actually going to start doing something new. I haven't started doing this yet, but if you leave a review on iTunes, I will read it right here, right now and talk about it. It can literally be a one-star review telling me how crap it is. It could be a five-star review saying how amazing it is. It was whatever you want. I'd be happy to read it. I'd happy to take the feedback and make the show even better because we at In the Dawn Behind the Dawn truly just want to make this the best podcast for you, Dawn Nation. Finally, I would highly encourage you to check out the last episode of Behind the Dawn. That was with Julian Kalor. We talk about Julian Kalor's technique on how to create so much music. We talk about making multiple types of music underneath one brand and how Julian Kalor's purpose is to give everyone the feeling that it's not only okay to be different, but it's the best thing in the world. So there is a link in the description for that, or you can just on your podcast app, wherever you're at, you can actually just 
go down to the next episode and listen to it. Again, you can listen to this episode. If you didn't know, you, you can listen to it anywhere you want. So if you're listening to this on SoundCloud right now, realize you do not have to. You can go anywhere you want. You can listen to it on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Deezer, uh, YouTube. You can listen to it in a whole slew of places. So feel free to listen to it on your favorite platform. And my final call to action for you, Donation, is if you enjoyed this episode, if you really did, I want you to take a screenshot of you listening to this podcast and I want you to put it in your Instagram stories and I want you to tag me. I will repost it instantly and I will reply to you. So Donation, I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you have a great day and we'll catch you on the next episode.